You're listening to the Women's Hope Podcast of the Masters University with Dr. Shelby Cullen and Kimberly Cummings. Join them as they bring hope and encouragement through 25 years of combined experience in biblical discipleship and counseling as ACBC counselors. Shelby and Kimberly provide biblical and practical wisdom by coming alongside women with the teaching and resources necessary to grow in the grace and the knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Women's Hope Podcast. Kim and I are very thankful for the privilege of spending time discussing topics that are near and dear to our hearts that will hopefully better equip you, our listening audience, as you navigate your day-to-day this side of heaven. And on that note, I want to just say welcome to my co-host, Kim. How are you doing today? It's a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day, actually. I'm with you, so hey. Oh, (laughs) that's awesome. I feel the same way. Um, Well, Kim, we uh, started off 2023 with the theme of joy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And since that time, um, we, our podcasts have been addressing this challenging topic of despair. Um, And that was intentional on our part, because we wanted to not only offer the biblical reality of joy, but um, we wanted to have that in the forefront of our minds as we encounter not so joyous issues of life. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is um, along the lines of what our topic is today. Uh, we want to address prodigal parenting because we want to be able to offer hope to all parents out there who have children who have made a profession of faith at one time in their life, but since have walked away from the Lord. And consequently, we would believe walked away from their parents' love Mm -hmm. in that sense. And so to help us walk through this very important topic, we want to welcome and introduce our very special guests today, uh, Jim and Caroline Neuheiser. On a personal note, uh, my husband Sean and I met this dear couple back in the early 2000s during my early ACBC days when I would travel down to Escondido, California to take classes in biblical counseling with um, the Institute of Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, or we just call it IBCD for short. And Jim was one of my professors for the practicum section of my training Then over time, uh, my husband and I got the privilege of just spending more time with them as a couple, and our friendship has just grown from there. I think we've Mm -hmm. been friends now, I was thinking about it, for at least 15 years or more. How sweet. So it's been a while, and so we're very thankful for their friendship and the wisdom that they bring into our life. Um, Jim and Caroline have been married for 43 years, and together they have raised three sons, And currently, they are also enjoying this blessed season of grandparenthood, and that gives them the opportunity to come to the West Coast frequently to see all the grands, which is really fun. But um, on a more professional note, uh, Jim, or as people know him in academia, Dr. Jim Neuheiser, is a professor of Christian counseling and pastoral theology as well as director of the Christian Counseling Program at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. He is also one of our board members for the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors and continues to give leadership as the director of IBCD as well. Um, He has written numerous books, including Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage, You Never Stop Being a Parent, 
when good kids make bad choices and help, I want to change, which I use in my class a lot. <laughs> oh, we use that one all the time. But there's so much more. Um, he has written a plethora of books full of just chock full of wisdom, which we're very, very thankful for. Um, and his dear wife, Caroline, um, she too, she earned her master's degree in Christian counseling from RTS a few years back. And she is um, an ACBC certified biblical counselor as well. And she is actually a really great example of someone who puts her training into practice as she faithfully counsels women during the week, um, really striving to help them live in a biblical and Christ honoring way. And I've been to their home and I know how busy Caroline is with this ministry of biblical counseling. So I'm very thankful for her example. She's also co-authored a very well-received book, mm-hmm. When Words Matter Most, Speaking of Truth with Those You Love. And you'll recall we had Caroline and her, her co-author, Cheryl Marshall, on the show last year when their book was first being released. And it's just so well-received. I know the ladies at my church just love it. But together, these two, they're just always such an example for Sean and I. They teach all over the world. They're, mm-hmm. um, in fact, <laughs> more recently... When I was uh, kind of following them on Facebook, um, I noticed that they were recently in Singapore and Indonesia just teaching and worshiping with the fellow believers there. And so, again, just a great example of a couple who toils and labors in ministry together. So, I mean, just so much more that could be said. But Caroline and Jim, thank you for joining us. It really is such a privilege for us to have you both on the show. Thank you. Thank you for the very kind introduction. I wonder if we have any time left now after we said all those nice things. You guys have so much to your background. It's it's good to know. (laughs) We really are grateful that you have joined us. Um, I'm so excited that you're here. And, you know, this is a topic that is near and dear to my own heart. Uh, We truly are, Shelby, I think you would agree with me, seeing the fruit of a postmodern Christianity. Um, It's ripened into what? Many are calling the deconstruction and deconversion movement, Mm. Um, and it's rampant today. And honestly, it's been going on since the garden, right? Um, When Eve questioned her heavenly father's provision, and, you know, she did what was right in her own eyes. And so, and we see she had the perfect father. (laughs) She had the perfect parent, yet she rebelled. And, and so we want to talk about prodigals today. And a biblical definition of prodigal would be a person who has spent his resources wastefully. And this truly describes, well, a child who leaves home and wastes that spiritual inheritance that we have invested in a child as a parent. Don't you think, Shelby? Mm, Absolutely. Uh, The greatest treasure that a parent could ever offer a child um, is instruction in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And and to see that uh, discarded is a very hurtful, hurtful thing. Yeah, I've never known a Christian parent that you know, brings their baby home from the hospital and says, yeah, this one's going to be our prodigal for sure. You know, we we have these great hopes and desires for them to love and, and serve the Lord wholeheartedly and train them accordingly. So the heartbreak sets in when they walk away. 
And um, we felt that that's why this tied in well with despair, right? Mm-hmm. Because it 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 is a heart wrenching thing when a child walks away yeah. from the truth of Scripture and from the Lord Himself. So I have a question for you guys: What general precepts can a parent glean? from the parable that we find in Luke 15, 11 through 32, as they seek to work through this trial and to have hope and to find joy in the, in the midst of their suffering. I'm glad you brought up this parable because so many parents read it and their hearts break. As you said, they are experiencing what, the father experiences, but I would like to focus on verse 20, that the father's reaction when he sees the prodigal coming back. So this will give us hope when we think of following this example of seeing our child come back and then running and embracing them, actually feeling compassion. So this is what parents currently can experience is that compassion of knowing your child is going the wrong way and experiencing some of the grief because of it and without condemning, but just sympathetic with the choice, the result of their choices. I appreciate, Kim, that you brought up the idea that it's a spiritual inheritance, that the, the parable is making one point, which is how God would rejoice over any sinner who turns back to mm-hmm. him. And so it is a spiritual matter. And like you said, especially if we have family devotions, we pray with our kids, we pray for our kids, we pray for them in the womb and we have dreams for them. And I appreciated Caroline saying how some, well, we should, we hope to welcome them back. And sometimes that could be hard because they've hurt you so much and shattered their dreams to getting where they are. Although another factor is that's more difficult is like most of us would be glad to be in that verse right now. We certainly would be. But just facing the reality that there's no certainty that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It can give hope. God does do that. And we know wonderful stories of, you know, those who are far coming back. And I appreciated you started in the garden, how Eve put her will against God's and Adam did as well. But even in the next chapter, you had a family where I think Adam and Eve were trying to raise Cain and Abel in the ways of the Lord. And yet, you know, Abel embraced the ways of the Lord and sacrificed in a way pleasing to him, but Cain murdered his brother. Same family, same influences, which they were fundamentally good, but it was the sin of his heart. It wasn't because Adam and Eve were terrible parents that Cain did what he did, and it wasn't even because of terrible influence. He didn't have social media or bad neighbors. <laughs> and I just would also mention that Jesus told us this would happen. Mm-hmm. We see it in the Bible, actually, where so many cases where a good king has a wicked son, and But in Luke 12, right before the prodigal son, he says he's come to bring division in the same family. There will be three against two and two against three, father against son and son against father and mother against daughter and so forth. And so Jesus warned that our loyalty to him could create conflict even with our family members, including our children, if they reject the Lord's ways. And sometimes they pressure us to embrace their sinful ways. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just even thinking through that, um, you can, you definitely, just even from what you were saying and what you were sharing, um, as far as being parents, 
of prodigals, I think we would all agree that this is just definitely a form of suffering. I mean, we, we suffer um, when, you know, you see children that you love from the outside engaging in sinful living, which often manifests um, into a lack of communication between parent and child, or at least a closed off relationship. You know, um, your light, in a sense, is, um, you know, exposing their darkness, and they don't like that. Mm. While other at other times, um, you know, if you do get the opportunity as a Christian parent to speak with them, just wanting to give wisdom and help, um, that can often be met with very hurtful insults. So the parents of these children, um, they're just so burdened, you know. Um, on the one hand, there's just these, these children you love so much, you're so burdened for them because they're choosing a particular lifestyle, and that can bring on a sense of urgency because you desire to, to bring them back or guide them back to Christ. And yet in 1 Peter 4, verse 15, you see this instruction to the suffering believer um, to suffer, but not as one, not as somebody who meddles or interferes. I think that's an interesting um, exhortation. And so kind of within that vein, um, how would you counsel the parent of a prodigal who sees the sinful choices that their child is making that will ultimately, that will ultimately have disastrous consequences? Because Roy's mindful of that proverb, hard is the road of a transgressor, right? <laughs> yes. So how would you counsel them? And, and if, if, also, just kind of a follow-up, um, what, if any, is our responsibility as the parent in all of that? Okay, Caroline wants me to start this time. Um, the passage that comes to my mind in terms of our suffering is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. And so the Lord himself had rebellious children in the old covenant that was Israel, and he was the perfect father, and they rejected his ways. And I think that uh, how he dealt with Israel probably can be a picture of our responsibility. He was very patient. He sought them out over and over again, but a point came where he had to let them go and experience the consequences of their own sinful choices when he allowed both northern and southern kingdoms to be conquered and you know scattered and sent into exile. And I think a point can come, especially you're talking about an adult child who is out of your home or should be out of your home, that where you, you know, some have used the prodigal son as an example where the father let him go. I don't know if that's the point of the parable, but it is mm -hmm. reflects reality. Dave Harvey has co-authored a book called Letting Go about how we keep trying to save our wayward loved ones, including our children, and a point comes where we have to let them reap what they sowed, like in the parable, the prodigal son, with the hopes, like Psalm 119 says in verses 67 and 71, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your ways. And the parable of the prodigal son illustrates that, but there's not a guarantee that's going to happen. And so I think there are times where sometimes it's very hard for a parent to realize by not letting go, I may, as I keep giving money or a place to live, to a very badly wayward child, I may be enabling their sin rather than even allowing the consequences God has designed to come upon them. I'll just mention one other thing, and that is that it, it is suffering. Um, and the analogy I would give, it's like you have scars that will not go away, or you walk with a limp, but you keep walking. And so it is something we're conscious of daily. We pray about daily. 
it hurts a bit daily, and yet also the Lord has enabled us to go on and not to be debilitated. And we know many others in our position who are the same way, where they're grieved over very, very wayward children, but God is a strength for them. Like Jeremiah 17 says, you don't trust in people or you'll be like the bush in the wilderness. But as you trust in God and you abide in him, he will enable you even a year of drought to remain strong. You want to add to that, Caroline? I would just encourage mothers to be open to whatever your child says and try to follow up on it without being controlling. <laughs> so it's a place where we are going to come to the Lord in prayer quite a bit and ask his help and his wisdom uh, to speak truth in love and be looking for opportunities to have these conversations. I like the openness. Yeah. Because you want to be able to dialogue with your child anyway. Mm -hmm. So that's good. Well, and I think we've seen that something that our culture is really struggling to do. I mean, mm -hmm. read Twitter for a hot second. You know, people can't dialogue in a in a civil manner. Mm -hmm. And so what a better way to show Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I mean, I'm in Luke right now, and it says that uh, graciousness oozed from his lips. Right. You know, so can we show that graciousness of our Savior when we're dialoguing with our children? And that's mm -hmm. really encouraging um, because Control would be we want to fix them, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And we know that we're not the fixer. Um, that's God's business. That's right. Especially if you've been faithful to share the gospel all their life mm -hmm. and you've done what your responsibility requires, train them up. Right. Mm -hmm. um, tell me, guys, what hope would you offer maybe to the parent who is struggling? And I've heard this over and over. Um, who's struggling with this kind of deterministic mindset where, um, you know, we did A, B, C, and it should equal S, salvation. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, uh, we had family devos. We memorized scripture together. Uh, we prayed for them. We prayed with them. Um, as best as we humanly could, we modeled Christ's love to them. Um, we were at church, surely, <laughs> if we're at church every time the door is opened, <laughs> somehow that's going to equate salvation is what some parents may think. So how how would you encourage a parent who's really working through, um, I did all of these things. So it happens, I have a mini book called Parenting is More Than a Formula, and about half that book is answering the question biblically of why do children turn out the way they do? And it is also explaining why this determinism is unbiblical. Uh, I understand that, you know, the Bible says children are a blessing. And we as parents yearn to see children who bear fruit for the Lord, and it's appropriate. But as you said, we don't have control over that. Uh, if perfect parenting produced perfect kids, then Israel would have been perfect. Hmm. But we've already read, there are many other passages in the prophets of, in spite of God's perfect fatherhood, they rebelled. We have so many examples in the Bible where you have believing parents who have unbelieving, wicked sons. You can go back to Eli, Samuel, David, and 
half the kings, more than half, I mean, a bunch of the kings. And so we, we don't have that level of control. Well, I think we as parents so desperately want our children to follow in the Lord's ways that you know, we, we hope for those things. And probably we need to, in our teaching about parenting and even in the church, we need to make it more clear that God has designed us to be an influence. But the whole book of Proverbs is telling us how there are other influences to which our children will be exposed. And our children who are naive, we're going to have to decide which side they're on. And we as parents can warn them of the consequences of sinful choices. And really the first nine chapters of Proverbs, I believe, are essentially evangelistic, pleading with the young person to choose God and his wisdom over Lady Bali in the world. But we can't determine the outcome to that. I'll just add one other thing as well. If there was a formula by which we could save our kids, we would fail to keep it anyway. <laughs> Because we are parents who don't do the best. Hebrews 12 says, We all had earthly fathers who disciplined us, seen Beths to them. We all fall short even of what we know. So both we and our children are dependent upon God's grace. Amen. You want anything, Caroline? Yeah, the only thing I would say, even from a mom's point of view, is an attitude of submission to the Lord is primary. And we learn about submission in other areas of life, but... In terms of our children, I'm submitting to the Lord and what he is doing. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in that sense, fear of the Lord is submitting to his decision, what he's doing at this time, while maintaining hope till the end. And I mean, I can think of harder examples of submission where Job lost his children, literally. And even Aaron with Nadab and Abihu where they died in a, you know, in a bad way. And so there can be things we're called to deal with in terms of suffering that can be really difficult. Uh, I can't, we can't promise that all the kids will be saved or even that they'll outlive us. And so we have to submit ourselves to a sovereign God, even in things we don't like mm -hmm. or understand. So true. And I do find hope in this because it's not up to me. That's right. Right? Mm -hmm. So you guys, just as a follow-up, um, how do we as parents who may have prodigals, um, and you know we're surrounded by, with other believers in our sphere of influence, and they may have this deterministic mindset, and so uh, maybe, maybe they're unintentionally heaping on a little bit of shame or guilt toward those who are suffering with a prodigal, what would be a gracious response? How could we help them to see that um, really and truly a deterministic mindset um, is harmful? I probably would not try to change their mind, especially when they see that my kids aren't doing great. I'm not sure trying to get into a quarrel with them is going sure. to be profitable to try to just sound like I'm trying to justify myself. You know, we and our church leaders determined very early in the life of our church when our kids were still very small that the biblical qualification for elder is that your children in the home be under control and that believing is not the best translation, Titus, which is almost universally agreed as an interpretation. But I'm thankful we came to those conclusions before we had trouble. We thought everything was fine. And we came to the conclusion biblically that parenting is not deterministic. And so I think we have to be secure 
you know, Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare. The one who trusts in God will be exalted. And so I think we have to say, well, I'm sad in one sense. I know I did in many ways fall short as a parent, and I need God's mercy for that. And yet you know, it hurts if people are not kind and maybe it's out of ignorance, not malice, most likely. And I just I have to find my security in the Lord and not what people think of me. And there probably isn't much use to trying to defend myself. I guess you could hand them my little yellow book about parenting is more than a formula if they're willing to read it. I think I proved pretty well from the Bible that determinism is not according to the Word of God. But often, like Caroline said, they find out for themselves when their seemingly perfect children have trouble later in life, and then they may see things differently. I guess one thing I will confess as well, I don't think you'll catch me ever saying shameful or judgmental things to people before I had trouble. But I know I had those thoughts occasionally. Well, what did they do wrong that we're doing? We're doing such a great job and they're having trouble. And so I know those wrong things were in my heart and certainly the Lord knocked that out of me and humbled me. Right. Right. And I think we all, I mean, because we do, we're, we look and we look at the scene, Mm -hmm. right? We're, we're looking at what we see and not the unseen and where God uh, sees the bigger picture. Right. He sees the end from the beginning. And and we aren't capable of that full, you know, that full vision. But we can ask to have um, an eternal mindset, which is a, a bigger view, like you said, of God, of course, um, as we are working through a trial as such. Yeah. Not just this, but any trial. Yeah. For sure. I also appreciate um, Jim and Caroline, just your, I think ultimately your heart's desire is to please the Lord. You're very gracious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure, just like you said, it's always hurtful when people make those judgments and they don't know the whole story. You know, they don't take the time to even maybe talk to you. But I appreciate um, just your transparency there mm-hmm. um, to help us to learn from you and the humility. Yeah, the humility. Um, just kind of in thinking about that, um, I would say uh, that uh, most parents, even if they're deterministic, <laughs> um, thinking the best, typically the motivation um, of most, at least most Christian parents that I have met is uh, they have a desire to have saved and godly children. That's their desire. But over time, um, I've also observed when that desire becomes a demand in the heart, and that can easily manifest into an idol of the heart. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's some of that going on as well. And so just kind of thinking through some of the struggles that the parents have, um, maybe from your experience, are there idols that a parent uh, can look for in their own lives when God brings this specific trial to their front door, so to speak? And if so, how should they respond to the reality, uh, to that reality in the midst of their pain? Dave Harvey has a talk called Parenting and Weakness, which is on the IBCD website for free. And he talked about, he talks from 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about how when I'm weak, I'm strong. But that's his text. But his point is that we all went into parenting thinking that's how God would demonstrate our strength, how we would just demonstrate our strength before God in the world, is we're going to have great kids. We're going to be so much better parents than our parents were. Everybody else in the church 
We've, we're going to have devotions. We're going to do just the discipline right. We're going to do homeschool or Christian school, whatever our thought is. And we do have a, a dream. A lot of this is really promoted by the way seminars and magazines used to be, where you kind of, you know, there's the picture of the four generations of believing people, everything of babies to 95 year olds. And your family's going to have this perfect picture. You know, when your daughter gets married, she's going to be a virgin and she's going to walk down the aisle to marry a godly man who's your best friend's son. And they, these are idols in terms of our dreams. The desires aren't necessarily wrong. We just like you said, Shelby, that we have these dreams for our children and we don't hold them as loosely as we should. And then when they make choices that shatter our dreams, like James 4 says, you know, why do we quarrel? Why do we fight? Well, we desired something we didn't get. And that also then makes things worse, where you had this dream for your child and their sin, their rejection shatters your dream. And then rather than trying to lovingly restore them, maintaining relationship with them, you could be tempted to be very angry with them because they took away your dream. Mm. And you can even be tempted to be angry with God. Yeah, that's well said, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that takes it an extra mile, doesn't it? I mean, wow. that temptation to be angry at your children for not realizing your dream or your expectation, and then furthermore, being angry at God. Mm. Wow. And that's a scary place to be, especially when he's lovingly working in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. As Jim mentioned with Hebrews 12. That's right. Of that of that father who is lovingly disciplining us for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a really frightening place to be. So, Jim or Caroline, either one or both, we love hearing from both of you. What other advice might you um, share with a parent um, who has a prodigal, maybe regarding communication, which you've shared a little bit already, uh, what to say, what not to say. <laughs> I like your question because it's so practical and it's based on our view of God. But if we think about how to communicate, we have both, Jim and myself, have decided to leave off criticism and add encouragement. I also do not criticize my child for their parenting or choices of what they're spending their money on, all these things. Because these are just symptoms of what's in their heart. And their main problem is not the expression of what's in their heart, but it's the heart itself. Amen. So we have tried to be so encouraging and positive. Um, I would suggest a resource. I gave a talk on IBCD of a mother's story of prayer and fasting for her prodigal because the element of fasting was something that I incorporated when uh, this first started happening to us. And again, it brought me to a place of humility (laughs) and that was the benefit to me. Mm. So I would encourage mothers to consider fasting and along with all the prayer that they incorporate for their children. I really appreciate what Caroline said about encouraging our children that, I mean, some may just be like evil in prison or whatever, and it's so hard to find anything positive. 
But I, in Sam Crabtree's book, Practicing Affirmation, I think he makes a good case that it's good to give praise to God for the good things God does in others. But even in common grace, you can have an unsaved son or daughter who is kind to their mother, who is hardworking, who develops skills or talents that we can affirm or is helpful or honest. I think you're you want to try to detect like a metal detector on a beach. You're looking for things you can affirm. If you were to ask most young adults, what do your parents think is wrong with you? They wouldn't take 10 seconds to give you nine different categories where they know how disappointed their parents are. If you were to ask them, what do your parents think you're doing well? You might stymie them for half an hour. Another general principle would be if they already know what you think, repetition will not make it more effective. The problem usually is not that they are ignorant. It's something I think parents, especially moms, will spend days and hours thinking of a way to say essentially the same thing differently a little bit. Maybe that will change my child's mind. The problem is they don't understand your perspective. The problem is for now, that's just not what they want. And repeating it is just going to be nagging. It's not going to make things better. Yeah, that's so good. I I really just love the idea too. When you are encouraging your child, you are opening up the communication and developing a relationship with them. And as we all know, um, that's when you can have, you know, even gospel opportunities, um, you know, just through your relationship. Um, And I love that. I love that. Well, well said, y'all. And we want to thank you for joining us today, Jim and Caroline. Just love having you on the show. We also want to thank our listeners as well for joining us and of course the master's university for producing our show as mentioned jim and caroline are authors of some really important resources for christian living in the area of parenting Mm -hmm. counseling and even financial stewardship jim's just written a a wonderful uh, book on that in fact if you go to rts.edu and you go onto jim's resource page you'll see all of the plethora of books that jim has written so far and i know there's more to come because <laughs> i'm only skimming the surface and of course caroline's book is on um, amazon or wherever christian books are sold and i'm going to go ahead and, and plug the conference coming up for ibcd as well because it's a wonderful conference i want to mm-hmm. invite our listening audience to go on to ibcd.org and to register for their conference which is june 22nd to 24th it's their annual conference it's an, just an exciting um uh just topic this year it's on gospel care exploring the transformational power of god's grace along with a pre-conference that they're going to be doing on counseling and shame. And so I just highly recommend um, our listening audience consider attending that conference. It's hosted at Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church, which is in Riverside. It's Milton Vincent's, uh, the pastor there. And there are just, you'll be blown away. If you go onto the website, there are so many wonderful speakers on the schedule, just men and women that love the Lord and his people. And they just really want to equip you to minister the word of God effectively. You know, even parents that are that have prodigals, just to be able to come alongside people that are suffering and just be able to minister the word of God where they're at. And so if you go on to ibc.org, you'll be able to find out more information. Sean and I are going and we're really looking forward to that. Well, that concludes our time today. And once again, thank you, Jim and Caroline, for joining us. Thank you, listening audience and TMU. 
And we pray that this episode was helpful to you and it gave you um, much more hope as you make it your fondest ambition to please the Lord today. Thank you for listening to the Women's Hope Podcast of the Masters University. For more resources and episodes, visit masters.edu slash women's hope. For more information on the Masters University, visit masters.edu. We'll see you next time.